What's up everyone? This is Dariusz Kalbarczyk, co-founder of AMG Poland, JS Poland, AngularMaster.dev and WorkshopFest.dev. Welcome back to Angular Master Podcast. Today we've got a special guest from Vienna, Austria. Trainer and consultant, Angular Master, Nest.js, RxJS, TypeScript. He's a GDE and also MVP. And also he's a performance engineer. So, ladies and gentlemen, Michael Rx Hladky. Hi, Michael. Hello. How are you, Darius? <laughs> Thank you. All good. Okay, Great. so let's talk a little bit about performance today. Yeah, we can we could add on to the previous discussion where we uh, talked a lot about vanilla improvements. Yes, exactly, exactly. So, the main question is where to start with performance. Uh, in Angular? This is a very good question. Thank uh, you. As we already have walked through a lot of things we can do in general, now it's naturally that we ask, okay, how can we apply that stuff in Angular or what's already given? And Angular out of the box really provides us with some very nice features. Um, one of the latest cool features is that we have now uh, CSS, critical CSS and font inlining which is really amazing and helps us to get the first um, contentful paint as fast as possible. So the moment when we uh, finally see all the needed information. And this is a pretty, pretty nice feature out of the box in uh, baked into the tooling. Uh, but we can do uh, a lot of different things to not only improve the critical path, but also the runtime performance. And one of the first things that um, I would start with as we bundle and build our application anyway, I would take a look at the bundle size and I would go with some uh, general tools like the bundle size analyzer. Now also um, Lighthouse ships a bundle size analyzer, a analyzer that shows you how much of this bundle size is also already used and how much is unused, dead or not activated JavaScript in the first paint. <clears throat> so this is stuff where I would look at and then you would easily see in a development build which different libraries you include into your project and how big they are. And uh, maybe some uh, experience from Angular we refactored uh, recently some applications and uh, started with bundle size material uh, is a very nice library, but also very heavy in bundle size. And we could get rid of a lot of megabytes by just removing that. Also stuff like um, not using the version of um, Firebase client because it was also really huge and directly accessing the APIs uh, with such improvements we did where, uh, where we really reduced the bundle size a lot. We reduced it, of course, also by code splitting. And uh, yeah, we, we introduced uh, lazy loaded routes, but also lazy loaded components, lazy loading of components when you interact with that stuff. I guess we all know that from the Google Meet, where you, when the first time the page loads, it, it looks like a player, but you, you have to interact with it and you will see. It is not working until a second page uh, script is loaded. And uh, this is what I call uh, load on interactive or interaction. Uh, all that stuff you can do to reduce your bundle size. And this will directly impact the loading performance of a critical path. 
But you can do also other stuff to improve that beside code splitting. You could, for example, schedule different works, uh, work types in a different way. You could um, split the bootstrap time when you just load and then bootstrap Angular. So you get uh, less uh, blocking time. But you could also schedule uh, different tasks earlier or later. You can, for example, fetch initial data already at bootstrap time with the app initializer, where you could also um, do other improvements that really prioritize work to the past, where you schedule a, a runtime fetch, for example, on idle callbacks. And you could also update important stuff earlier when you use the animation frame. So those scheduling techniques you can always apply to your code. Um, maybe one last thing that is also interesting, you can do a lot uh, to your runtime performance uh, when you reconsider the structure of your component routing. And uh, recently we refactored from a routing where we had two different routes and one parameter to a route that shared the same screen in one route with, instead of one parameter, two different parameters. And this basically got rid of a lot of recreation and destruction of these components when navigating between those two routes. They were frequently used. And it was really a nice runtime improvement by just a little bit of the refactoring of this state that we moved from a static string of two routes into a parameter. So this is, I guess, a really nice, um, real-life um, feedback or, 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 let's say, uh, example of where you can use uh, routing. The second question is about quite popular SSR, server-side rendering. Is a good choice for performance? That's um, another good question. Of course, um, it is. it helps to uh, give the user the first meaningful impression faster, so our first, uh, first contentful paint will show up very early. It will show up whenever the browser is done with parsing the HTML. And then you see already an image that is nearly identical or in many cases identical to the stuff that um, the browser would later on re-render on your client and take over the site. Um, the difference here is it is really only something like an image. So you cannot interact with that early on. Uh, you need Angular to bootstrap to re-execute and then take over the whole uh, page. And then you have to also re-render everything uh, a second additional time, of course. Uh, so you um, you ship the visual impression to an earlier stage, um, but it also takes some time because the execution of all the JavaScript and that stuff now needs to happen on the server. This is called the server part of the server-side rendering, right? So you execute all that stuff there. And this also causes additional delay. So your first result uh, will ship a little bit uh, slower to your client, depending on what machine you have on your on your backend. So can we do additional improvements? Yeah, next to uh, server-side rendering, which is really executing your uh, single-page application on the server right when you request it or you request the URL, you can also pre-render specific pages, which means uh, especially for static content, right? You can uh, already re-render, execute that, uh, that single-page application and save the 
rendered output as static HTML site. This is called a pre-rendered uh, um, output of your of your application. And if you switch to that approach, it is not always possible, but in many cases, then of course you can uh, ship an even faster experience to the user because you don't need to wait for the execution to generate that HTML. You just ship the already generated HTML from the past. And this is a really good approach. And sometimes we use that to also uh, constantly changing, uh, um, let's say, views where you have latest articles and so on. And we basically connect changes to the database, to our pre-rendering script. And then uh, it is also uh, possible to pre-render constantly, or let's say not that highly frequently changing uh, page content. And this is really cool. Uh, maybe also a second thing, if you uh, imagine that you already executed the full application on the server, after you after you send it or before you send it to the client and then you you receive that and you redo all the stuff again there is a couple of, of different things that you would not want to do a second time for example and a very good example here is the http requests that you do initially to different apis so as the server already did that you can or you should leverage that already resolved data also on your client. And for this, you can use the HTTP transfer state that Angular provides. It's not really super difficult to set it up. And then you can leverage the HTTP requests, plural. So you can cache multiple of those, will not get sent a second time when you execute that stuff on the client. So this is a pretty or let's say two pretty cool additional things that we can do to improve the speed uh, when it comes to server-side rendering. Let's talk about Zone.js and ng-zone. Yes, my, my most favorite topic here. <laughs> yeah, let's so do Angular's, it. Angular's change detection is a pool-based change detection system and an uh, implicit change detection system that is based on, on Zone.js. Zone.js is a uh, small, tiny code snippet that is responsible to, responsible to basically provide a context across asynchronous operations in the client. Zone.js patches basically native browser APIs like set timeout, HTTP requests, event listeners, everything that could happen asynchronously and collects those informations and also informs about those things. And so Zone.js basically knows uh, whenever somebody interacts with an asynchronous API, may it be Angular or may it be vanilla JavaScript. And inside of Angular, you can access um, those uh, related APIs by a wrapper service that is called ng-zone. This is basically um, very, very rough and quickly explained what Zone.js is. And Zone.js is also a pain for performance. Maybe we should mention that when we already talk about performance. Zone.js... Uh, took away a lot of uh, headache on when we should update, but it also gave us a, a fully patched, patched browser that uh, will do a lot of unnecessary changes to our 
to, to the application itself. And this makes our application slow, not scalable. And of course, a well-known issue, there is project zoneless uh, on the roadmap of the Angular team. So they already realized that at some point they should get rid or not uh, get rid, but make zone.js as an optional additional feature in Angular and not as a required thing. And this then opens up a lot of benefits in terms of performance because Angular's change detection um, would basically uh, change a little bit or let's say you would get additional options to run change detection in Angular, completely new options to do that. So what is change detection and should we care about it? Yeah, change detection is the central uh, logic that, um, let's say, detects if some update were made to some values that uh, the, user, the user should see or that some internal process, background process should see. This is in general uh, the detection of some change, some update. And change detection um, in Angular is a topic that we don't really know that well, I would say, because we we are tied to this um, to this library zone.js and our especially our local component state is uh, fully uh, driven by zone.js. We in the past we already started to introduce uh, concepts, push-based concepts of changes uh, through uh, global state management tools like NGXS or NGXS or other uh, global state management systems. Um, but our um, the majority of our developers were not uh, really ready to um, understand local state, component state. And this was uh, very trivial and, and, and normal for every, every uh, React developer, for example, set state or use state is used uh, in any component where you want to introduce a change. And this is Uh, explicit change detection, it's explicit state management. And this is stuff that zone took away. So therefore, uh, all those uh, performance degradations arises with this um, price that we pay. Uh, and therefore, it is very important to know about change detection. Uh, there are old change detection things. There are also new things that shipped. And uh, this is essential if you want to improve the performance of Angular to understand how changes are detected and what takes time in your re-rendering cycle and what not where you can improve. So if we talk about change detection, what about Ivy features? Yeah, so Ivy shipped some new APIs. They are hidden behind the header flag, which means they are experimental, but I'm I'm pretty sure they will not change that much in the future. Uh, and the two new APIs that uh, were crafted, uh, one of them is called Teta Detect Changes, and the other one is called Teta Mark for Check, uh, Mark Dirty, and not Mark for Check. Mark for Check is the old one. Maybe we should compare uh, those later. But yeah, these are two two new APIs that I will shipped and the. First main difference is if we look at the tether detect changes, this method now takes uh, the component instance and is a standalone method not tied 
to any service like the uh, change detector ref where we knew the detect changes method from before. So this is standalone. You can hand over everything that is somehow connected to Angular's change detection APIs. And this method will run it uh, by receiving that instance and take it. The second difference, and this is uh, Mark Dirty, is that they... Um, so when detect changes runs change detection on a single component, Mark Dirty runs change detection on the very component and the whole related tree. This will be basically a drop-in replacement for our uh, API that is at the moment tied to zone. And this Mark Dirty will enable us to run change detection without zone.js, but in the same uh, mechanism in the same patterns. So we mark the full path from the affected component uh, to the top, to the root component, and then re-render everything again. This is how it goes. But in the new Ivy uh, API, there is no uh, connection to zone.js, so it runs zone.js independent. If we want to do more detailed um, Information, I can also share that they use scheduling APIs uh, and improve the performance also a little bit more. This is uh, everything related to the new features in Ivy to change detection itself. So can you uh, compare change detection and mark for checked? Ah, you mean detect changes and mark for checked? Detect, detect, sorry, yeah, detect. I would compare the existing detect changes uh, and mark for check that sit on the change detector ref, and then I would compare them with the new Ivy APIs Tether detect changes and Tether mark dirty. So where detect changes, um, as I mentioned before, re-render only the component. Uh, one of them is doing that by taking a component. The other one is doing that by deriving the change detection reference from the very component uh, pretty equally. Uh, those two, the other ones are really interesting as mark for check uh, also tied on the change detector ref needs uh, uh, basically only marks component paths as dirty where the mark dirty marks and re-renders them. So mark for check is one piece and the other half uh, is zone.js that triggers it. You call mark for check, you mark all the component uh, from the very affected up to the top as dirty, and then somebody else or zone.js itself needs to call application ref tick to re-render uh, the full component. And if you switch off zone, this is also one of the things where you will uh, see that it stops working basically without zone. You will not see any re-renderings. And this is the really cool part on the Tether mark dirty method. It marks all the components as dirty. And then after a animation frame tick, basically it schedules the re-rendering in the future on the next animation frame. And when this new animation frame kicks in, it re-renders the page. This is um, one thing. Also, uh, we did uh, performance measurements and mark dirty is definitely faster and gives uh, an earlier interaction with the page as mark for check. So how would you measure the difference in the change detection process? Um, there is, of course, um, 
the well-known approaches that you can have a lab environment and a field environment where the lab environment is basically a fully staged um, setup where you have isolated use cases um, that you can 100% reproduce and remeasure again and again and again in the same way with mostly similar outputs if you don't change anything. They are really, really uh, close to each other, the remeasures. And this pays off when you develop or battle test a specific part of your application. Um, what you could do in change detection is that you can uh, run different things like uh, deeply nested components, a component tree, a list, a nested list. Nested lists basically occur uh, a lot in real-life applications. So this is stuff that you always can, can start with, uh, nested ng4s. Uh, one of the slowest things that you can do. Uh, but also updates from HTTP requests or anything else that causes heavy change detection and that could get reduced is part of the lab environment. Um, when I roughly do that, I also um, sometimes use a helper function. I put a method in the template that returns an incremental incrementing number. And whenever I re-render the <coughs> component, this number also increments. And this is how I see how often the, the, the component is re-rendered. And even if there is no time, by only looking to the number, I can tell that it is faster or slower because it rendered less often. The, the uh, field environment is different. There you really work in, um, let me get a sip of water. They really, really work on the live website, which you measure from the client. And these measurements are not that reproducible in specific things, especially when it comes to runtime performance. Uh, so you uh, most often, beside, um, beside bootstrap performance, we do that manually um, in the field. And also we have some uh, tools that help us to share and receive that data from the field. So those are two things how we can uh, compare the difference in change detection when we introduce changes. Of course, every change that we introduce in our client's application is also estimated front off. So we should mostly know on some milliseconds where we will land. Okay, so now we know that uh, Zone.js generates some performance problems. Mm -hmm. So how can we refactor an application to go fully zoneless? It is even possible? Well, um, existing applications, huge applications will, I believe, never work without zone.js. They are really fully tied to it. And this is a little bit of sad. This is also stuff that we realized early on, I guess, some years ago, we already realized uh, big applications um, cannot really migrate to zone, it would be a too big of an effort to refactor everything. And the problem back then um, was that you could also not really do it partially. You could not really migrate partially into a zoneless application. It was either zone full or zone less and nothing in between. And this was, uh, I guess, the biggest hurdle for many companies that's tried to go zoneless to improve performance by huge um, number with uh, a zoneless approach. 
Mm, nevertheless, we figured out ways to have coexistence with Zone and uh, we are really shipped a lot of tools and we refactored a lot of applications from a Zone full to a partially Zone less application. We call that, that part uh, Zone agnostic. So a Zone agnostic change detection mechanism is basically independent of zone, it can coexist next to zone, it will not interfere or cause any other troubles with zone.js and can really enable us to partially migrate components, uh, routes or full features of an application uh, to a zoneless piece and this is really a tremendous difference in performance. Um, this is what what we suggest to do, so we suggest to really um, maybe start with some basics on zone flags. Zone flags basically is also a hidden feature. We released some helpers in, in Rx Angular for that zone. Zone flags are hidden features where you can control uh, which APIs are patched by zone.js in Angular, which are not patched, and it reduces not only runtime performance, but also if you look in your flame shots for bootstrap uh, time, it reduces also a lot the time when, when Zonechess patches the APIs and also sometimes the bundle size of it. So this is a, a thing that you can do partially and then uh, of course you can use um, any feature that we shipped in our Angular template Those are um, the first uh, components that we shipped uh, and discussed also with the team that can help us to go partially zoneless. They are, uh, at the moment, there is a pipe and a directive where you can bind static values, promises, or observables to it. But we will also ship the other directives like the ng-if for and switch in that manner. Those are different things that you can do to improve the rendering. And one of the last things that I would say that you should need to know when you try to go fully zoneless, when you go fully zoneless, which is, I guess, not easily possible, you also need to do some small hacks with routing. So for routing at the moment, you need to uh, trigger change detection manually whenever you update uh, an important piece of the URL. Yo, that is, I guess, a, a big, big overview of what's, why it is hard to go fully zoneless at the moment, but why it is very easy to partially migrate it. And I also mentioned the uh, helper libraries. There is a state package and a template package in the repository or in the organization Rx Angular that can help you to do that partially right now. Perfect. Michael, can you name some bad and best performance practice? <laughs> well, um, the bad performance practices, the trivial bad performance practices are already mentioned in Angular's documentation. For example, uh, one of the slowest pieces in Angular is the ng4, a rendering of lists, and there they suggest already in their getting started guides that you should use track by function to really make it faster to identify items. Uh, you should switch on change detection, on push uh, for your components. You can turn on um, 
other things uh, that really help you to do less work, but there are also non-trivial things. Non-trivial things like you could improve uh, a lot of stuff by using or leveraging cool CSS tricks. You can uh, basically update lists, um, list content in a wrapper that uh, helps you to only affect this piece. The contain property contain strict, for example, helps a lot when you update lists. Um, and you can also apply other CSS uh, tricks like content visibility auto where you, when you scroll out uh, parts of uh, your application from the viewport and uh, the application, the DOM structure gets re-rendered, style gets recalculated, then the browser will uh, have way less to do because it can ignore those boxes completely and can go on with other work. Those are one of the basics and one of the most useful uh, performance best practices is that you get rid of all the uh, async pipes. All the asynchronous code normally is, is tied to the template by the async pipe and you should try to get rid of that async pipe as much as possible and only render what is really affected uh, by using directives like the rxlet that I mentioned before. This is uh, a really easy and quick way to dramatically improve the performance of your application. Are there any examples, uh, example repositories to see real-life implementation? Yes. Uh, recently, we got asked by Taste.js by Minko as a co-contributor co of that organization to refactor a non-trivial Angular application in terms of performance. And the current project is um, present under taste.js and then slash Angular movies. This is uh, the repository name under the taste.js organization. And there you see that uh, we basically refactored an existing Angular application um, that is nearly identical to the similar one written in React. And we improved the performance a lot of the existing one. And we also event up with the React framework, which was a, a really nice success for us. Of course, we are not yet done. Uh, we will introduce even more improvements so that we can get even, even faster. Now we are nearly equally and we want to, of course, get faster Uh, then the provided application. It's not an easy goal because the, the app is improved by Eddie Osmani, so he knows what he's doing, but we give our best and I'm pretty, pretty confident if we had a little bit more time, then we make it even faster. Yeah. Yes, this was one of our, of our nicest uh, recent achievements in terms of performance to, to really get asked to refactor that application by the team. It was a really nice uh, gesture, I would say. Amazing. So let's switch to non-technical questions. What do you think about it? We can try it. We, We can, can try, try it. it. Let's see how it goes. Okay. The, the, the hardest question for someone, maybe not for you, is what kind of person is Michael? How do you see yourself? You can close your eyes. I can do some background. <laughs> Are these birds? Yes, are these birds? Yeah. I can try to close my eyes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so 
at the moment I see myself on uh, a hill in in grass lying around. There are a lot of small flowers and bees and all these background birds there. <laughs> this is how I saw myself when you played that music. <laughs> that sounds. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I would say uh, a very curious person in general. This is something that accompanies uh, me ever since. Uh, very curious, very passionate about stuff that I'm curious on. Uh, recently, I created a list. Uh, what makes me happy. And one of the funniest points on that list was I, I, I like to create things with my hands. I don't know. Okay. I, I create, Sounds good. Whenever I create stuff with my hands, building something, screwing, sawing, nailing, hammering, climbing, bending, I like it. So this is uh, another thing that I guess uh, we motivates are We are me. developers. So in many things... <laughs> yeah, and I, I like to code. I guess it is really creative and therefore I also consider uh, myself maybe as a creative person, person that likes to express creativity on many different layers. Do you have some hints for us regarding self-organization? Focusing or giving myself time to focus on stuff that I really like is maybe the most beneficial that I can do when I spend my time with stuff that I really, really like, that I burn for, where I'm really interested in. Uh, I'm super productive and I can make big steps if I work uh, or do stuff that I don't really um, have a lot of passion for it. It will never go that well. And I guess maybe this is a, one of the few hints or tips that that i could give because they worked for me is like spending time uh on stuff that is motivating you where you're passionate about where you're curious to understand and learn is the the most successful thing that you can do i guess yeah <laughs> that's it i would say for my self-organization do you have any uh, favorite hobbies hobbies well i do a little bit of workout. I love to go dancing. Um, I do some copper or also metal art where I either form some something out of out of metal, may it be a coin, a copper plate, or something else, or I bend stuff and then I weld it together. And this is what I what I enjoy a lot next to dancing. And other than this, I guess reading is a hobby that i also favor. dancing is your hobby so what kind of dancing uh mostly salsa at the moment salsa and the um, dominican style of bachata is what i dance uh, the, the most at the moment i enjoy it a lot maybe we, we will see what i do in the future but at the moment those dances are the one that i enjoy most what about your work-life balance Do you have some hints? Well, sometimes it's in balance and sometimes it's in imbalance. <laughs> I don't know. Um, maybe I'm also not the best person in that case. Either I over or underdo it. Um, maybe not. Maybe, I, maybe it's a good, good moment like. to think about that. Yeah, I guess um, what helps me to balance the best is nature. I guess... Um, Sometimes if you're not relaxed or constantly under pressure, you forgot how to 
or what pressure even is, right? You, you get used to it and then you don't see uh, that you are already every day in some hurry. And I guess nature helps me personally the most to get um, get rid of, of precious moments, to get rid of some, some stress uh, or just realize when I need a break or not. And then I take more of the nature <laughs> to get more break. If we talk about nature, is it mountains or? Yeah, basically anything. Um, I grew up on the countryside with not a lot of mountains. So for me, forests are the the type of nature that I uh, visited a lot when I grew up. Later on, of course, also some nice mountain trips as I came come from Austria. We have a lot of really, really yes. nice uh, mountains. <laughs> yeah, so this, of course... Yeah, and stuff that happens in summer uh, is uh, stuff that I like more <laughs> than the winter sport and so on, or winter trips in the nature. Yeah. So uh, your favorite sports activity is uh, gym or well, or dancing? Well, I would say dancing, or... as dancing? I don't do oh, okay. any sport. I I would say dancing. This is uh, one thing that I really, really like. How do you remember uh, your last visit to Poland? I would say outstanding, good and interesting. Uh, we had uh, a lot of workshops. We also had a lot of cool uh, activities. And I also visited the city, met a lot of cool people there. So I guess one of the best stays in, in Poland uh, I had for a long time. I mean, it was a long time, right? COVID was here. Yeah. Um, not a lot of traveling and yeah. Yeah, so But really cool. The last visit was uh, unexpectedly good, I would say. That's amazing. Yeah, it was very intensive um, time. You, you did a four days workshop and it was very intensive four days. So how you uh, regenerate after such a lot of effort? Um, so after the four day of workshop, I went... I went into the city for <laughs> for some dancing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, moving my body regenerates myself, I would say, a lot. Uh, sleeping. I slept a lot after these heavy days um, and drank a lot of green tea to detox. <laughs> yeah, this is what I did after the four, four days okay. workshop. Okay, that's that's great. The last question is, what are you planning for NG and JS Poland 2021? Well, uh, I'll have talks and workshops around the topic performance and reactivity, uh, state management, organization and that stuff inside of Angular, but also vanilla. And I will have a vanilla JavaScript a focused workshop on performance, a workshop that you can leverage in any framework. So may it be React, Angular, Vue, or whatever Svelte, uh, other stuff, SolidJS you use. You will get a lot of out of it. You will understand how you use the tools, the performance, to, performance tools in the browser and how you can fix it with a lot of really, really nice examples, live demos, and also coding challenges. And the second thing will be on RxJS, especially in Angular. So what tricks you should know in Angular to handle your 
subscriptions, updates on states, organization of components, patterns, uh, a lot of different things that uh, most of the people uh, don't know or uh, could improve, uh, especially when it comes to numbers of lines of code that they write. And also uh, we will discuss a lot of cool operators that are maybe not that well known. First workshop is November 17, yes. Correct. This is the RxJS for Angular. And then we have ng-poland 18 November, js-poland 19 November, and uh, the last day of this event is uh, JS Workshops. is uh, November 20, and uh, you have this Vanilla JS Performance Masterclass. Yeah? That's correct. That's correct. Okay. So, yeah, everybody, listen now. So, if you didn't register now, it's a good moment to to take this action. Okay, Michael, thank you. Thank you so much. Cool. Thank you, too.